You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Uh, We're going to continue on in our series, uh, The Scripture Journal. I want to encourage you uh, to keep reading along in Ephesians, and I hope that you're applying this into your life. Uh, I know it's helping, it helps me. Um, So today, what I want to do before we get started, I want to give you a couple announcements uh, that are going on with our church. Uh, Many of you remember that uh, we had applied for some permits uh, for, for our parking lot and then for the building, and we can't finish our building up there on the front until we get the parking lot issue covered. Uh, so a good news is, is that we actually do have a permit now for a temporary use for our parking lot. We'll have one year to complete our parking lot and fix it up. And so the good news is we got that permit last week. So celebrate that. So what that means is, is that now we have another permit that is uh, you know, given to the city. And so Lord willing, let's pray together that in a couple of weeks, that we will have uh, a permit that we can start our renovations and utilize that multi-purpose facility for students, for youth, uh, for growth track training on that front building as you come in. It's the last building on our campus uh, that is existing. It's the largest building on our campus. So it's a very crucial uh, building for us, and that'll really, really help out. So Lord willing, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have that permit, and then we can start some, some uh, more construction. So it's exciting. So thank you for, for, with, for praying with me on that. Other news is, is Mexico's coming up. In just a couple of weeks, there's a team of us. If you look on the Get Connected section, it says that we're sending a group of 30 people to Mexico. Uh, the good news is, is that we're going down there, and we got another small army that's going down there. The bad news is, is last year we took 65 people. And we're building the same size house. So that means that the 30 are coming strong. They're the dirty 30. And so we got to do this thing. Here's the challenge for the church. That means what the, the, the cost of supplies did not decrease. The cost of supplies actually probably increased. Uh, so here's the reality. The church is going to be liable for the remaining difference. And that's about $4,000. So I'm asking for you, if you're not able to go or you're able to go and God's blessed you, would you consider giving a gift above and beyond your regular giving to the hope offering? And that, that will be about uh, uh, $4,000 that we're going to need to build that house. So pray about that. Think about that. We've got a little bit of time uh, to, to, to do this, uh, but we're leaving in a couple of weeks. And I'm telling you, um, that wasn't in our budget. So last year, it just makes sense, right? 60-something people go, we build a house, the house was paid for, we even got to do some extras in the house. This year, 30 people are going. And so uh, my wife and I and my kids are are part of that team, we're going to go down there. Let's make sure that we get that covered. It's the hope offering, and that'll help out hugely. So pray about that and consider doing that. You can do that uh, in service, or you could do it online, that'd be a huge blessing. So... All right, well, let me pray for the initiatives that we've got going on. Uh, let me pray for the, the Mexico missions opportunity that we have. Uh, let me pray for, uh, the, let's pray for the parking lot and the building projects and all that. So Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you, Lord, that we've got a problem uh, with just uh, missions. Church, some churches don't even do this. 
And uh, we thank you, God, that we've got a team of people that are going, they're contributing financially, they're contributing their time, and God, a house will be built, Jesus will be proclaimed, and Lord, we will see uh, the, the fruits of love being sowed into the lives of people and lives transformed. We're thankful for that. We pray, Father, for the shortfall, that it would, it would come in through the congregation very quickly, and uh, we'd have all the supplies needed to build that house uh, Lord, we thank you as well for the, the projects that are getting approved for the parking lot and then for the building, Lord, that is coming for the, for the students, for the youth, uh, for the kids, and Lord, just to equip and encourage uh, folks through Growth Track. Uh, I pray, God, that you would build your church in and through us in the days ahead. The greatest is before us, and we're grateful for that. Now we look to, and in just this time, we're excited to get into your word and hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Well, I want to start with something fun. I uh, heard a joke recently about a 92-year-old man who was a little bit of hard of hearing. And uh, he goes to the doctor, and he gets this physical check, and then a few days later, He's walking around the street, and he's got this gorgeous young lady around his arm, and, and the doctor sees him, and at the follow-up visit, the doctor said, hey, I, I saw you uh, in, down the street. Looks like you're doing great. I saw you with that beautiful young lady. And uh, the man replied, yeah, doc, I, I'm doing just what you said. You said, get a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doctor said, I didn't say that. I said, you got a heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> Sometimes we misinterpret what needs to be said. So today what I want to do is I want to teach you how to get a hot mama and be careful. Now I want to teach you what it means to live the new life that Jesus Christ offers. As Christians, we're called to live different. When I first became a Christian, I knew that God was calling me to leave my old ways of life and to live a whole new way. And there's challenges in doing that. And the reality is, is I had to learn how to separate myself from the negative influences in my life if I was going to pursue a life with Jesus Christ. Being a Christian is not always easy. You're going to stand out and hopefully you're going to stand up for what you believe in. I want to challenge you today that we're going to look at what it means to live this new life. Maybe you were like Ryan, the guy in the video, uh, proclaiming his faith in Jesus Christ, and he wants to live a new life, and he says, everything's changed now that I've been hearing the truth of God's word in my life, and I want to live different. And uh, I want to challenge you to live the new life. Maybe you made a decision for Jesus Christ recently. Maybe you were baptized recently. Maybe your faith is becoming a little bit more fresher as you begin to understand God's truth and you're starting to think, am I really experiencing the new life like I should? Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it means to live the new life. In chapter 4 verse 17, moving along, we're challenged to live very different. Look what it says. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, Now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Let me stop right there just for a minute. It's really interesting that he says that. He's, in a sense, what's really significant here is that Paul refuses to call the ethnically Gentile Christians Gentiles. 
me clarify that. He's writing to a group of people in Ephesus that are ethnically Gentile, they're Greek, Gentile, Greek, synonymous, or they're Jews. And he's refusing to call the people in Ephesus Gentiles, even though they are Gentiles ethnically. He's saying, now I, test, I say this to testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I'm sure when they heard this, they're like, but I'm Gentile. I'm totally Gentile. So how do I not do that? And what does it mean to walk? That's behave. It's not like literally walk. Don't walk like them. It's not like they were walking like boom, boom. No, they're not walking like that. You, yeah, you just saw me dance. Yeah. They're literally, it's a behavior. And, and he's saying, don't behave like that. Um, but what's he doing? He's challenging them, the Gentiles, that they live morally, listen to me, morally like the Jews. So you say, well, what's going on? Pastor Ryan, unpack that. The perversion that was going on in Ephesus was at perhaps an all-time high. In, in the Greek culture, it, the pathway to manhood for a young boy was disgusting and abusive and offensive. Premarital sex, homosexuality, idolatry were very typical for the average Greek household. There was uh, Greek gods, goddesses. Uh, they would integrate some kind of sexual perversion into the household. And the Apostle Paul's addressing this and saying, you don't, you don't behave like that. I don't care if you are Gentile, you don't act Gentile. In fact, I'm not even going to call you Gentile. For a young boy, a Greek boy, uh, the pathway for manhood was ushered in by an older man's sexual abuse. This is the Greek culture that Paul is writing to. So he's in a sense saying, I don't care ethnically your ethnic tribe. You don't, you don't, you don't live like that. The challenge is, is that they've got perhaps friends in the old way of life and they're challenged to do things totally different. So he's saying, you may be a Gentile, but morally I want you to live like a Jew. The Jews did not live like that. The Jews didn't practice those kinds of sins. They restrained themselves. They were totally against that kind of behavior. That's why much of our Christian and our Jewish faith, there's a Judeo-Christian worldview that is still somewhat a fabric piece of North American culture. Look what he says in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I don't know if you've got friends from the past that are, they're just kind of lost. This idea of darkened is a sense of word and understanding that they're just their thought process, they're not enlightened. They haven't experienced the life of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. He's saying, you didn't learn Jesus Christ like that, so don't live contrary. So what does that mean to live different? Number one, that you need to understand they are darkened in their understanding. It's interesting in Ephesians chapter four, it is a very similar parallel to Colossians chapter three. 
For you folks that want to study the Bible a little bit more, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and then cross-reference Colossians chapter 3. There were some similar issues going on in the city of Colossae. What does it mean to be darkened? Darkness implies ignorance and immorality. There is a hardness of heart. It's a reference to a willful disobedience as a person commits sins repeatedly, their heart becomes calloused and it endangers their faith. When your understanding is darkened, it's like you're looking through the world from a, a blurry vision. And there's a, there's a danger here. If you have become a Christian, you are not darkened in your understanding, you are actually enlightened with understanding. And Paul's saying, you got to live different. So let me ask you, are you living different? Is your life different from the people that you're at and your employees? Um, are, is your dating relationships look different than the way the, the world or a non-Christian uh, lives? The Apostle Paul is challenging us to live different. We've been given new life in Jesus Christ, and are we living different? Do our lives look different? And when they don't, may we fall back on God's grace, repent, and make some changes. And that's what communion is, is about too. It's about realizing that we're forgiven, so we should forgive ourselves, and then we can forgive others. Number two, they are alienated from the life of God. They're separated from the promise and the plan. They don't know the love of Jesus Christ. What, what about you? What about the new life? Well, guess what? As a Christian, you can alienate yourself in isolation against God's people, God's plans, God's purposes, and you forget the power of Christian fellowship. You alienate yourself too. But listen, the real life truth is this, is you are not alienated as a Christian. You are adopted. It's the exact opposite. You're adopted into God's family. You're not alienated. So live the new life. Number three, they practice every kind of impurity. Impurity is exactly what it means. It's anything that's immoral or impure. Maybe you've been allowing yourself to view images, movies, surfing around the internet. Maybe you've been fantasizing about a relationship of impure thoughts. There's a lot of sexual perversion that's happening in the context of the church in Ephesus. And Paul's drilling this in. So let me contextualize it for us at North Valley. Maybe you've been engaged in a conversation you shouldn't be. Maybe you, it's moved from physical relationship uh, to, uh, from, from an emotional relationship to physical. And now it's hard to stop. And if others found out, it would be embarrassing and heartbreaking and destructive. What are you doing that is impure? We are all called to live a life of purity. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for theirs is the kingdom. The freedom is in living in impurity, not impurity. Let me talk to you about impurity in North American culture right now as it relates to the hot topic, the secret topic nobody likes to talk about, pornography. Perhaps this is the greatest level of impurity for, for the church to think about. 89% of porn is created in the United States. Did you hear me? 89% of pornography is created here in the U.S., 72% of porn viewers are men. That's perhaps 
uh, three quarters of all our congregation is that. Now in the church, we live radically different. We live very different. These statistics I do not think could apply to the church. I think it, it, it's gotta reflect a difference. We have a new life in Jesus Christ. We live different. However, this is a real struggle. The average age of the first exposure, exposure to pornography is now 11 years old. Parents, listen. This device can see anything, do anything. It is, according to Deer Valley Unified School District and other districts, is the most dangerous device that the school holds, that the students hold. What happens in here? As many as 93.2% are boys, 62% of girls say uh, that they have seen porn before they are 18. The largest consumer, again, of, of online porn is men between 35 and 49 years old. Uh, one third of all internet uh, porn users are women, and this is staggering and very sad, but Sunday is the most popular day of the week for viewing pornography. The devil has a heyday. If, if, if I was the devil, then I would attack on Sunday because uh, it's the day uh, that perhaps uh, that the Christians are going to church so I would inflict guilt into their life. I would inflict shame, discouragement, anything I could to ruin the marriage, to ruin the Christian household. This is uh, one of the biggest challenges in for the, for the church, is it on Sunday? I don't know. I know that uh, the vast majority of our valley doesn't go to church. And, uh, and what this says to me on a positive side, perhaps, is that there's something in the heart of an individual that's wanting to feel something to get help. And so they're turning to this, and it's a dead end. And it's a reality that maybe maybe that there is a, a missing piece in their heart that they're longing for and they're trying to fill it in a fantasy and it's a dead end. Common problems associated with this again are, are uh, addiction and disorders, uh, uh, depression and anxiety. The porn industry is $16.9 billion each year in the United States alone in 1978 it was $4 billion. It has quadrupled in the last 40 years. If that is you, I challenge you to get help. I've talked to individuals that have struggled with this before, and I challenge them to get into God's Word. There's a great program called Setting Captives Free. It's a free resource online. What is Paul dealing with? He's dealing with every kind of impurity. Um, you, my friend, my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ, you're called to live a life of purity. Be free. Blessed are the pure in heart, for theirs is the kingdom. You live different. You are enlightened. You are adopted, and you're called to live in purity. Verse 21, we got to live by the truth. Let's watch this. In verse 21, the apostle Paul says, assuming that you've heard about him... <laughs> Hey, you heard about him, right, Jesus? Assuming you've heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires and 
be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Live by the truth. Number one, you've got to put off the old self. The old things that are going on in your life, put those things away. It's the imagery here is kind of like a filthy rags or clothing. You take them off and you chuck them. You know, if there is a, if something is, is messed up or your clothing, it gets contaminated with something, you know, I just, you, you, there's times when you, they're just completely and utterly ruined. So you could take them and you could just throw them in the trash or you could burn them if you wanted to. The imagery is this kind of imagery. The apostle Paul's like stripping off the old self. It's the old way of life, the old way of living. And then he, secondly, you need to live by the truth by renewing your mind. He talks about this in this, in this verse. It's interesting. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Like, is there a spirit inside your mind? Like, what is he talking about? And actually, that idea of the spirit of the mind is your, uh, is your mind set. Uh, so you've heard it said before, like, man, he's just got a, he's got a mindset for this, or his, his mind is bent the certain way. It's, a, it's like a, it's automatic the way your mind thinks. And you need to be renewed in that. You have been renewed in that. When you accept Jesus Christ into your life, you allow him into every facu- faculty of your being. And then this idea of put on the new self, this is very interesting to me. This isn't a renovation. This isn't a little bit of an upgrade, take off the old and then put the clothes in the washer, wash them up and put them back on. No, this is put on the new self. What this means is, is literally that there is a a new supernatural human species that you become. A new supernatural human species. Uh, the Apostle Peter said this in, in 2 Peter 1.4, that we are partakers of the divine nature. There is a mystical, miraculous power that you have as a Christian in the new self. It is a, uh, Apostle Peter called it partakers of the divine nature. The Apostle Paul, when he was speaking to the church in Galatia, he says, Uh, It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The old is gone, the new has come. He says that in Corinthians. You get a new life, a new mindset. So why do we go back sometimes? Because we're constantly battling with the old self. I heard a story of a Native American community um, in the early... uh, Uh, times of of American history where a missionary came to this Native American village and they shared the gospel with them. And this missionary actually spent three months teaching them about the the gospel and the new life that somebody can find in Jesus Christ. And the, the chief was the very first one who became a Christian. And he said, well, we've been worshiping the sun gods. We've been worshiping the moon. We've been worshiping uh, the forest. We've been worshiping all these other gods, but we thought there might be another God And what you're saying makes sense. He and all of his tribe became Christians. And the missionary spent time with them and said, I'm going to come back in about uh, nine months, and I want to talk to you about how you're doing. I want a progress report. So the missionary leaves. The whole tribe's now Christians, and they're challenged to live a new life. 
the Christian comes back, the missionary comes back, and he says, talks to the chief, and he says, how are things going in the village, in, in your community? And he said, they're going pretty good, but many of, the, many of the new tribal members are struggling. The new Christians in the tribe are struggling with the old way of life. They're not, they're not forgiving. They're not loving. They're not uh, continuing to worship Jesus or tempted to live the other way. It's this tension that we face in our village. And the missionary says, well, can I ask you an honest question? How, how are you doing? Because he's the chief. True story. And the chief says, it's a battle every single day to live the tension between the old way of life and the new way of life. And he said, it's kind of like there's two dogs inside of me. One dog is fighting for evil and wants to do everything in the old life. And there's another dog inside of me and that dog wants to do good. And the Christian missionary said, well, let me ask you another question. Which dog wins if there's a war going on inside of you? And he said, whatever dog I feed the most. Whatever desire you feed the most will be the winner in, in, in your life. If you want to feed the evil desires, that thing will only grow and turn into a, an incredible dark side of your life that will continually be fed and get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Which desires are you feeding? Are you feeding the, the evil desires or are you feeding the good desires? You've got to ask yourself this question. If you're called to live radically different as a Christian, putting off the old, renewing the mind, and putting on the new self, we've got to do this. But there's implications for this that are not simply between us and God. There's implications that we should live different with the people around us. So look, in verse 25, we're challenged to live the new life. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. Let's say that together. Speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In verse 27, it says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Let me stop just for a moment. Uh, it's interesting. I did some research on, on theft in, in North America. I, I found out that the National Association for Shoplifting reported these numbers that $13 billion worth of goods are stolen each and every year. There's $35 million of, of goods stolen every single day in North America. That means that one in 11 people will steal something at one point in their life or another. Maybe it's stealing time from the business or the company or the organization. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's goods. Maybe it's services. The sad reality is there's only one in 48 shoplifters ever caught. Are you stealing something? find it interesting as well that the hotel industry faces this huge battle all the time too. I mean, when I go to a hotel, I think, well, I paid for that shampoo and that, and that soap, so I'll just take that. I mean, yeah, and you're with me probably like, yeah, of course, Ryan, take the, the shampoo and the soap and the, the little mouthwash. But then you think about all those folks that go in there and they're like, well, I like this towel too. I mean, I paid for the room. I, I'll take the towel and then they kind of think, oh, well, I like this robe, and I like this bath mat, and ooh, I need a new hair dryer. <laughs> hey, I like that couch. I'll take that couch. I mean, it's crazy. The Apostle Paul saying, quit stealing. 
but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So let me have something to share with anyone in need. One of the coolest things you can do as a Christian is go earn some money. Go work really hard. Make as much money as you can and be as generous as you possibly can so that you can not only take care of your own family and live a great life, but to share with other people. It's perhaps one of the greatest blessings you could do. And the Apostle Paul saying, quit acting like an idiot and stealing. Why don't you do some honest work and then share with people that are in need? What people want right now is not necessarily more education in the workforce. They want people that have some experience and great character. Christians, we perhaps become the most valuable workforce that America could have because we walk in with a sense of character and honesty and integrity. And that, my friends, is different than the rest of the world. Verse 29, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's the idea of toxic language. He says, but only such is good for building up as it fits occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I love that phrase, your speech ought to give grace to people. If your speech gives guilt to people all the time, you're not doing the Christian talk. Let me tell you something. Let the Holy Spirit be the guilt giver. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the sins of people. Jesus is the judge. The Holy Spirit can bring the guilt. You've got to figure out how to speak the truth in love. Your speech ought to be constantly a grace giver that when people hear your words, they're like, man, I I like being around that person. That's really helpful. But you say to me, well, Pastor Ryan, what about speak the truth? Okay, we'll get there in just a minute. Okay, let's finish this up. Look what he says though. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He links that up with the way you talk. When you're rude in your language, when you're uh, abrasive or offensive and you're breaking other people down or you're not giving grace and you're pushing in guilt with your words and getting all historical on people and their mistakes, you know what the Bible says is, is that you're actually grieving the Holy Spirit. And that grieving the Holy Spirit is testimony that the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not it. it he is a person. And he can be grieved. He has emotions. And what grieves the Holy Spirit in your life is the way you speak to other people. And the Apostle Paul says, don't do that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What does this mean? Number one, live the new life. You've got to be real, but you cannot be rude. You've got to be real with people and transparent. This is an art to be honest, to be transparent, to speak the truth, but to do it in love. Some of you, I've heard you say it's like a cop-out. Well, I just tell it like it is. My personality is tough sometimes. It's because I'm Italian. It's because I'm Irish. I don't care what you are. That's rude. There's a way to talk to not be, be real, but not to be rude. What does this mean? It means that we've got to put away falsehood. Don't gossip. Don't lie. 
don't break each other down with your language. Don't say things that are exaggerating, that hurt people. But keep it true, keep it right. John 8, the Bible tells us is that Satan is actually the father of lies. He's the one who breathes in lies. And sometimes you perhaps, if you're not putting on the new self, you're walking with the old self and Satan has a heyday here and he whispers in lies about other people for you to think of bad things about other people. And then you accidentally start siding with Satan against somebody else. And that's exactly what he wants. Put away falsehood. And secondly, you speak the truth in love. What does that mean? It means that you, you speak openly and honestly. If you see a friend or a family member or a spouse or somebody that you, you know it, it, they're in error, I always encourage you to start very humbly. You acknowledge that you're not perfect before you try to point it out to somebody else. Speaking the truth in love is, a, is, a, is an art. It takes time, but you've got to do it. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Um, I've always told folks before, you're not my truest friend until you can feel the comfortable and confident enough to confront me and challenge me. We all need people in our lives that are going to help us to grow. And if you're married, that person has a front row ticket to see all your weaknesses and your strengths. And that person perhaps has the greatest opportunity to speak truth into your life. The way I envision it sometimes is when you've got somebody that you've got to confront, if it's say it's another guy, you kind of got to punch them in the gut and tell them the truth and it's hard and they hate it. But then what you do is you wrap your arm around them and say, I love you, but you can't live like that, man. And this speaking the truth in love is not easy, but it's absolutely essential. You've got to speak the truth, but you always do it in love. Number two, you can... You can be angry, but you cannot sin in your anger. This is a, a challenging uh, statement, but I need you to know something that anger isn't necessarily uh, an, a, a, a sin at all. The Bible warns that uh, most of the time, many times, uh, anger cannot produce the righteousness of God. That's what James says. But Jesus was angry, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I put the, the passages there in your program. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of the Gospels records Jesus getting angry. And I'm talking really angry. At the very beginning of his ministry, he saw the corruption that was going on in the temple. And he goes in very early in his ministry grabs the tables, throws them over, starts yelling at people, grabs a whip and starts telling them, get out. I mean, he's clearing the place. Imagine if I did that in here. I mean, you guys would go nuts and then call the news and the cops on me. And uh, that's crazy. But that's what he did because there was such a high level of corruption. But many of you perhaps didn't know that at the end of Jesus's ministry, he does it again. So I imagine, like, if, if you're uh, the, the corrupt folks that were there in the temple, the money changers and all the, 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 the thieves and the uh, uh, swindlers and, and all that stuff are sitting there and they're like, oh, snap, pack up your stuff. Here comes Jesus. Here he comes. Get out of here. Last time he got a whip and drove us out of here. Um, is it okay to be angry? Yes. 
um, I think you've got to differentiate between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. What is unrighteous anger? It's when you give way to wrath. It's when you explode on people and yell at them when they don't deserve it. Some of you have heard you said, well, when I get angry, yeah, I kind of have this, I just like go off, but it's only for like two seconds or three seconds. And my response is like, yeah, okay. But the atomic bomb was the same way. And there's a lot of casualties there. Your outburst is not necessarily a godly and right thing if it's to people that's hurting people that don't need to be hurt. What about righteous anger? Yes, we should get angry. I, I think we have way too many people that don't get angry that ought to get angry about injustices or offensiveness or crude behavior, wrong behavior, and we're, we're in a sense pacified or numb and we, it doesn't bother us. We've become desensitized as a culture and as Christians. So be angry, but don't sin. What does that mean? He gives some practicals. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean when you get into a fight with your spouse? That means work out everything you possibly can and, and don't go to bed angry and mad at the other person. But let me caution you on this. So, but don't do this as well. Say it's a complicated issue. It's a bigger deal to deal with and it's 10 o'clock at night and you guys are both tired. What the temptation would be to do is for one of you to flatter or appease the other individual, lie to yourself, lie to the individual and say, I forgive you, I'm not angry anymore, let's go to bed. And then you wake up and you're like, the Hulk comes back out. So don't, don't lie, don't appease, but you can cease to be angry and say, I love you, we can't figure all this out tonight. I'm not angry at you anymore. Are you angry at me? No, I'm not. Okay, let's go to bed. It's not healthy for us to go to bed angry, but we, I'm not gonna lie to you and appease you and flatter you and say, everything's okay. You might need to work out the details the next day. But don't let the sun go down on your anger is the exhortation. And then second, don't give the devil a foothold. Um, and in the English Standard Version, it's opportunity. In many other translations, it's uh, a foothold. So what are you doing when you're angry and you're not resolving this stuff? Imagine your spiritual life is like a house and there's a door. And Satan comes and he knocks on that door. And you open that door and you see it's Satan, and you go, oh, shoot, and you're trying to shut it really fast. And the enemy, the devil, puts in a foothold, and he jams the door, and you can't close that door anymore. The second you live in bitterness, and you build a bed for, for and you give an opportunity for the devil to get a foothold, break into your house, and ruin your, your spiritual well-being. This idea of, of foothold is the idea that you're letting there be a spot into your life where the Satan can come in and start to destroy things. Secondly, don't give the devil a foothold. 
Again, that passage in James is there is the Apostle James says uh, that anger seldomly produces the righteousness of God. Some of you say, well, I got a short wick. Well, you, as a Christian, you need to have a slow burn. A very, you need to figure out how to throw wet towels on the fire and cool it down. Thirdly, I challenge you is be kind and remember the king. Jesus Christ, he's the king of kings. He has a throne. There, there are, the streets are paved with gold. He, he rules and he reigns. And our king is a forgiving king. We're challenged and called to live a new life, to be kind to people. In today's culture, in leadership, it's not always cool to be kind. But kindness is a virtue. And it's a, something that as Christians we should do. We forgive others like God forgave us. Forgive like God forgives you. That's what we're challenged to do. I want to challenge you to live the new life. I remember uh, years ago, I had a buddy. Uh, I was in residency uh, during my time in, in Little Rock. And there was four or five guys that came in from around the country. And we had one year in Little Rock, Arkansas, before we went out and planted church all, all around the country. And uh, at the time, the kids were really young. And, and we all stayed in this apartment complex. And my buddy, Jay, uh, he was a funny guy. Just had a really interesting personality. He was going to go plant a church down in Austin. And uh, we were going to Phoenix. This is some 10 years ago. And he said, Ryan, it's the new year, and I've decided to do a workout program. And uh, I want to, I wanna, it's like the P90X kind of thing, and I'm like going after it. And I said, man, that's really cool, Jay. I said, I could probably get some more tone and definition and muscle and, you know, and it was probably February, March time frame. So he'd started it in January. He said, meet me down at the gym tomorrow morning. I said, sure, I'll be there. So I walk in and I'm thinking like we are going to like do like CrossFit kind of style stuff. Like I thought we were going to burn it, man. And so I go in there and I see Jay right next to this old lady on a treadmill. She's probably about 97. And Jay's on the treadmill too, but he's going slower than she is. And I say, morning, Jay. And he goes with his cup of coffee, morning, Ryan. I said, what are we doing? And he said, I'm just warming up. I said, wow, that's a warm up. How long are you going to warm up? And he says, when I finish my coffee, I'll be ready to go with you. I said, okay, I'm going to go run around the parking lot and go warm up. So I go on a run. I come back. There's a, the, the gym starting to be filled up and Jay's walking around and he's chatting it up. And I'm like, Hey, Jay, when are we going to get going? And he's like, hang on just a minute. I, did you, have you met Bill? Bill is such a cool guy. Bill, tell him your story, what's going on. And I'm like, man, Jay, we're, he's doing ministry here, and that's great. And I'm fine. Hey, that's fine, but I thought we were going to work out. And then next thing you know, we're, we're about done. And it's like an hour's past, and he has not hardly done anything. I think he thought that there were signs on the, the thing that says, do not work out on me or something. So he's not working out. We finish, and I say, Jay, just ask him, how long have you been doing this? And he's like, well, I started in January, in, you know, nine to 12 weeks. I said, how's it working for you? And he goes, ah, I'm not getting the results that I want. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I could imagine why. 
And he said, but, uh, but I'm building some cool relationships, and that's cool. And he said, but I think if I stay at it, Ryan, I'm really going to get ripped. And I'm like, Jay, uh-uh. This, tomorrow, I'm leading. Let me tell you something. Why do I tell that story? I think it's a little bit like the Christian life. We can show up at church, and we can hear everything. We can listen to the good news. We can be around other people. But if we fail to exercise our faith, then we're spiritually weak sauce. The church is like a gym in some ways. You ought to come in, you hear biblical truth, and whatever God is working in you, you start to work it out. And if you choose not to, then what you do is you check the box, I showed up but you're not growing up. You're not getting stronger. You're just here. How do we do the new life? You've got to work out whatever God is starting to work in you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends that they would not just show up, but they would take the truth that's applied, given into their lives, and they would begin to work it out Lord, five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week, they start putting it into practice. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey guys, um, in just a minute, I'm gonna invite the worship team up, but I wanted to tell you um, a couple of things real quick as we get going is um, we've got a, a, on the back of your program right here, we've got an opportunity um, for some next steps and here's a great way to work out what God's doing in your life and to grow and get stronger. Um, we've got the Go event tonight. It's an opportunity for you to hear what it means to go, to put your faith into action, and to be a part of a ministry or a mission. Um, if, if you have not attended that, I'd challenge you to join me in doing that. I can't attend uh, these events very often, at least the Go event, but I am feel... Uh, called by the Lord to be at this one to help make sure we've got a good army of folks that are going to go into this season of outreach with our church uh, as we approach Easter, as we're approaching the mission trip and all that. So that's tonight at 530. Um, check that if you want to be a part of that. Uh, we've got child care and food. As well, there's an opportunity to serve at Easter this Easter season. I would challenge you to, uh, if you've never served before, this is your chance. Um, we're going to be giving away uh, t-shirts uh, during this season, uh, specifically tonight, that just say, hey, I'm here to help. If you haven't been a part of our Easter season before, we have uh, a lot of people, um, 800 to 1,000 people will show up on the Sunday or the Saturday, the week before, whatever, on our Easter outreach, uh, the egg extravaganza, we turn this campus into an awesome experience. Um, and then on Easter services, we'll have anywhere from 700 to 1,000 people in our services on Easter Sunday. Um, so we are going to need some volunteers. I'd encourage you to join the team to help us in the Easter season. And that's going to be a, a big, important step. And then last but not least, I just want to encourage you um, as well uh, in that hope offering uh, ask that you would consider being a part of that as well. And so in just a few minutes, the ushers are going to come around to help um, receive our offering. I want to thank all of you who give ahead of time online um, and thank you that you're helping fuel and fund the ministry. So let me pray for us and then our ushers are going to come forward in just a minute.
Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to teach your word, uh, to continue. Lord, I pray that we would work out our, our faith. Um, Lord, I pray that we would live this new life in the areas that are dark, the areas that the desires that perhaps we've been feeding, that we need to starve, I pray that we would. And I pray that we would begin to live more and more the new life that you've called us to live. And I pray that we'd put it into practice, God, that we would stretch ourselves to be the people that you've called us to be. To you be all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.